I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. <laughs> you can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Mostair, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. Welcome into the Important Nonsense Podcast Week 7 Preview Edition. Most leagues have their playoffs in Week 14, which means we still have time to save our seasons. And in order to do that, we bring back the Important Nonsense Start Sit Star at that FF Nerd. It's Jason Draven. Jason, how is it going heading into Week 7? Wow, sorry, I just happened to trip into Week 7. It was kind of an embarrassing thing. I just got a full head of steam and was going straight to it but really have no idea. I'm just pumped for this week. All right. Well, I don't understand that introduction at all, but it is a pleasure to have you back anyway. Did you not watch the game last night? The dude had oh, a full head of steam, oh, wide boy. open. Nobody we're, was already, close to- we're already taking the Danny Dime shots. I <laughs> thought we were going to wait a bit for that. All right. It is a joy to have you back for some Thursday night football to review finally. And with the schedule back to normal, we bring back the man, the myth, the legend at Donald McJordan. It's Jordan McDonald. Jordan, how have you been and how are you feeling heading into our seventh week of NFL football? Hey, Jack. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me back on. I feel all right. I didn't have a great week last week. Uh, I lost to a guy who kept Jared Cook in his lineup, so I'm feeling a little embarrassed, a little bit of an egg on the face, but you know what? It's a new week and I'm ready to roll. Oh, that is embarrassing. I am so sorry to hear that. But I promise you that even though he lost to a not playing Jared Cook, he is still great at fantasy football. So be sure to follow Jordan at Donald McJordan and be sure to follow along with the rest of the important nonsensers at importantnonsense.com and on all the socials at nonsenseff. And with that, we dive into the return of Thursday Night Football as the Philadelphia Eagles came out on top 22-21 to 21 over their NFC East rivals, the New York Giants. And someone has to win this division, so the Eagles managing to win means they have managed to keep their season alive. Stunning come from behind victory over the New York Giants, and while it was ugly as can be, Philly did it. And so Carson Wentz was up and down as always, 359 yards passing, two touchdowns as a passer, and he had a rushing score, but only 58.1% completion rate and an interception. So even if you do count the two drops that he had as completions, still just 62.8% for Wentz. But he did enough on the day for the win, and that's all that really matters for NFL teams. And he did enough to satisfy his fantasy GMs. 27.8 points on the day. The Eagles executed a beautiful two-minute drill, capping it off with a beautiful throw and catch from Wentz to our man, Boston Scott. Yeah, and I was so pumped for Carson Wentz. I had him as a start this week. I was pumped for him. But I had Scott as the guy who I was just down on. I wasn't assumed, just guessing he wasn't going to have a good day, not have a large lot of numbers, which he didn't. That last minute touchdown really saved his day in fantasy. Oh, it completely did. But you know what? Shout out to at that FF or shout out to at FFA where the original Boston Scott Truther and yeah, like you said, wasn't pretty 3.8 yards per carry end of the day with 46 yards on three receptions, 46 on the ground, 92 total and a touchdown. So it's a pretty great day for a guy you picked up off the waiver wire and Corey Clement and rookie Jason Huntley each had two carries didn't offer much with them. 
Miles Sanders expected to miss another week, so we can probably fire up Boston Scott again in hopes of another touchdown. At pass catcher, though, Travis Fulgham, once again the star receiver, 73 yards on five grabs, although it did take 11 targets to get there, and he did have two drops. Don't worry about that, though. I still think you're fantastic, Mr. Fulgham, and I think you're fantastic as well. Richard Rogers caught all six of his targets, 85 yards, led the team in both of those stats, and it would have been nice if either Rogers or Fulgham found the end zone. Instead, it was Greg Ward who did have that the score, in addition to the Scott touchdown, caught five of six, 42, and the tug from Ward, but really would have liked to see the score from one of those two pass catchers. Yeah, and I mean, I had both of them on the waiver wire YouTube video I did earlier in the week. I was pumped for both of these guys. I got a little nervous because Butler almost stole a touchdown from Rodgers, and I was going to be so annoyed, but it ended up being Ward, so that's fine. Just something you guys need to be checking out is that waiver wire video that comes out on Monday because I nailed these two, and I am pumped for it. This is why you need to follow along with Jason on that waiver wire show and just follow Jason in general because he does have some pretty great advice sometimes. In other news to show. Thanks for the reiteration of sometimes. Definitely need to make sure people realize that I'm hit or miss. (laughs) Yeah, there are some big misses out there, but you do have quite a few hits. Deshaun Jackson, though, underwent an MRI to confirm he suffered a high ankle sprain. That's typically a four- to six-week injury, so that's week 11 to 13. He'll be back, and he's been placed on IR until then. I got to say, Jack, I gave up on DJax last season when he just struggled to stay healthy. He had that big game in week one last year. Didn't really see the field since then, and he hasn't seen the field much this year, so I can't really sympathize with anyone who thought he had any, any value this season. It's tough for the Eagles. The Eagles, this is two years in a row where their wide receivers are just dropping like flies and they're relying on guys like Travis Fulgham and Greg Ward to to pick up the slack. And, and now that their tight ends are hurt, you guys see Richard Rodgers making an emergence. So very interesting. Yeah, the poor Philadelphia Eagles. And rounding things out, they're actually looking to move on from a couple of pass catchers. Alshon Jeffrey reportedly on the trade block, as is Zach Ertz. So before they place Ertz on injured reserve, they were shopping him around. They can still trade him even though he's on IR. Ertz is unhappy about the contract negotiations, and the Eagles are unhappy with Ertz's performance. So keep an eye on that and keep an eye on Alshon Jeffrey. Do either of these guys really have any value, though? Yeah, that's definitely a no. I mean, both are completely unusable, and I don't understand why anybody would have them on their bench. It's just wasting a roster spot, in my opinion. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Let's let's tone it back a little bit. If Ertz finds himself in the right situation, gets traded to a team that can utilize him, and not saying that the Eagles can, but it hasn't been shown recently, I think he has tremendous value. I, I think he could be an interesting buy low if you like to gamble. Maybe wait a little bit, like maybe towards your closer to your trade deadline. But like I said, it's I think a team can utilize him for sure. <clears throat> Colts, hopefully. Well, Burton's there. He's already beasting up yeah, on him. So don't, don't get me started on <laughs> Trey Burton. <laughs> I'd rather have Mo Ali Cox, but that's another story. Let's let's move on. Don't get me talking about either of those tight ends because I really want no part in Zach Ertz or Trey Burton. And getting to something else I don't want a part of, we'll get back to the Giants. So they got the ball back with 40 seconds left to go after the Boston Scott touchdown. Offensive holding call and a short pass to Ingram. Jones drops back, takes a shot, and Brandon Graham knocked the ball out of his hand. Strip sack recovered by Vinny Curry. And those are the big plays that me is always talking about on the IDP side. So keep an eye on those types of plays. 
and shout out to Nee for teaching us all about IDP. And once again, Brandon Graham comes up big against Joe Judge in another big moment. Shades of the Eagles Super Bowl victory over the Patriots years ago. And aside from the fumble, bring him to five on the season. And aside from another interception, which brings him to seven on the year, Daniel Jones had a solid performance, I guess we could say. Completed 66.7% of his 30 attempts, had a touchdown pass to Golden Tate, and a touchdown pass to the returning Sterling Shepard. Only 187 yards passing, but did finish with 92 yards rushing, including the 80-yard run that Jason made fun of. And it goes down as the longest non-touchdown run by a quarterback in modern NFL history. Absolutely hilarious. Ends up tackling himself based on that speed wobble, which is just... Uh, I, I I don't know. It was just hilarious. It just honestly sums up what the New York Giants are at this point. That speed wobble fall is the New York Giants to a T, and it's hilarious. I feel this franchise is just hilarious. We already mentioned that Sterling Shepard returned and scored a touchdown, though. Also tied for the team lead with eight targets and six receptions and led the team with 59 yards. Impressive return, and that kind of led to a down day from Darius Slayton, which was really disappointing. Caught two of three targets for 23 yards, and I just don't understand why Slayton gets three targets and Evan Engram gets eight. Like well, He had two drops, too. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know why Slayton didn't have a good day? It's because he had Slay on him. Still, give him more targets. I, it, it can't be worse than <clears throat> yeah, I know. Evan Engram again and again and again. I know. I thought that that long ball. I thought for sure that was Slayton, and I saw hit the back of his jersey say '88, and I was like, "No, not Ingram! It's gonna be dropped." And of course, he does. Of course, it was two drops on the day, forty-six yards on six receptions. I don't understand it. And we also had a Golden Tate sighting, caught one of his two targets for the aforementioned thirty-nine-yard tutter. That was nice, but just stop wasting these targets on Ingram. Maybe even give it to Tate. I don't care. Just get the ball out of his hands. Monte Freeman did leave the game with an ankle injury, just three carries for eight yards before that, which led to Wayne Gullman standing out in his place, only 34 yards on 10 carries behind the dreadful Giants offensive line, but did have a touchdown, five receptions and 20 yards. So in PPR, it's a solid day for a player that literally, and I mean literally, no one played. Speaking of a player that nobody used, Deion Lewis fumbled the ball on one of his three carries. And even with the Gallman TD, don't fool yourself. There is no value in this backfield. I have no, I have no expectations for any of these players. Even if Devontae Freeman gets hurt, maybe Wayne Gallman if he's got a matchup. But like I said, you, use your running back spot elsewhere. Oh, it's got to be PPR, and even then, it is absolutely disgusting. I don't recommend any of these running backs, even Gallman, even if there's a fire. A fair few people, though, did pick up the Eagles' defense, and it paid off quite a bit. They scored a nine, so you got to be happy with that. So you can't play them, obviously, now, and I hope you weren't playing the Giants. But, Jason, what defenses are we looking at this week? Yeah, I suggested playing the Eagles because I thought this was a great matchup for them, and they definitely paid off. But if since you don't have that as an option, I like the Titans this week. I mean, I really think this game between them and the Steelers is just going to be ugly. Both sides are just defense focus and run focus and man uh, i'm just worried that they could be wide they're widely available so you can easily pick them up but it's just going to be an ugly game and i'm not for that yeah we'll get to it later but i really do think this is going to be a bit of a slug fest so i do tend to agree with you here even though the steelers kind of overrated at this point but people are way behind them 
Great advice from Jason, as always, as wild as he can get sometimes. He's been pretty bang on so far and offers great advice, as does our boss at Nonsense underscore Steve, Steve Bonham, as he brings us a word from our sponsors. We are back and we are into the news around the league. And we start with the unfortunate report out of Minnesota that Danell Hunter is set to undergo season-ending neck surgery. And it kind of seems like the Vikings have admitted that they are a bad football team. They're embracing it. Maybe they're embracing taking for Trevor. I don't know. I can't comment for what their plans are. We'll have to see that going forward. But part of this acceptance in Minnesota, they also traded edge rusher Yannick Ngakwe to the Baltimore Ravens. Vikings were hoping that Hunter would come back. They were hoping it'd be a fearsome pass rush between the two. Clearly, that is not going to happen. And so the Vikings shipped him out. Vikings traded a second and a fifth rounder to the Jaguars to get Ngakwe to begin with. And now have traded him to the Ravens for a third and a fifth. So basically moved from a pick in the 40s to a pick in the 90s for six games of Yannick Ngakwe, who did bring five sacks and two forced fumbles. So not bad by Ngakwe by any means. Baltimore Ravens defensive line is scary. Ngakwe reunites with Calais Campbell. The former Jacksonville Jaguars duo made it to the AFC Championship with the Jags and will look to get back there with the Ravens. And it does appear that the Ravens are looking to go all in to get back to that AFC Championship and to win another Super Bowl. That run includes signing Des Bryant. And this tells me that the Miles Boykin ex-receiver experiment is over, which is great because it was not working. It was a bad draft pick when it happened, and it didn't pan out. We knew that. And so the Ravens don't use a ton of three wide receiver sets because of their love for the tight ends and fullbacks. But when they do, moving forward, the ideal trio will be Dez replacing Boykin at the X. Devin Duvernay will take over full-time in the slot. Let Willie Sneed get out of here. They should not be sharing time at all right now. And then Hollywood Brown will still have his typical Z position. Really excited about this. Love the Ravens going forward. Yeah, and I figured he would, but man, I'm just so upset that Duvernay's here because he has so much talent. Too many people don't know who he is. I'm really hoping that changes one day, but Lamar Jackson just doesn't have to throw, and with them adding these pieces, it makes it even worse for him. Like, I, I don't want to trust any of these wide receivers at this point for any sort of fantasy hope. Uh, you know what? I really wouldn't worry too much there. Devin Duvernay is going to turn into a star, and he's not going to have the massive fanny to see totals in year one, but down the line, that speed with Lamar Jackson and Hollywood Brown, it's going to be fantastic eventually. Just may take some time, unfortunately. But in other pass rush news, the Giants traded away Marcus Golden to the Cardinals for a sixth. Golden will fill in for Chandler, Chandler Jones and will reunite with the Arizona Cardinals. And we'll get all of the thoughts on these defensive moves from at the real NWB, me, Wallace Bruce, on the Sunday night podcast. So be sure to tune into that. On the offensive line, though, not good in Oakland. The entire, or sorry, not Oakland, Las Vegas. Wow, I have not made that mistake in years. The entire Las Vegas offensive line was placed on COVID reserve list. Raiders right tackle Trent Brown was tested positive, and according to NFL Network's Tom Pelissero, belief is he had been taking off his tracking device, which made it more difficult for contact tracing. So there is the chance that all four of the Raiders starters will be cleared because their contact took place on Monday. So keep an eye on that tomorrow. 
but safety Jonathan Abram will not have a chance at play rep playing reportedly. His contact took place on Tuesday and will not have enough time to be cleared. And because of this, we've now moved the Bucks Raiders game to 4.05 Eastern time. And in their place on Sunday Night Football, we now have Cardinals Seahawks, which honestly is a much more exciting game personally, I think. So that's exciting. What isn't exciting is having five backup offensive linemen against the Buccaneers' dominant defensive line. Massive fantasy implications on this. We really need to keep an eye on the injury report. So I have a conundrum that I want to ask you guys about this. This is a personal issue. I have Josh Jacobs in one of my leagues, and I am think I'm thinking about benching him. I have options I can play. I have Gurley and I have Mike Davis, which you can debate on what the good option or not. But anyways, if the entire O-line is out, combined with how good the Bucks rush defense has been, is it a crazy idea to sit Jacobs? No, not at all. I mean, if that line is not there, I wouldn't trust really anybody behind them. I mean, I'm hoping that it, even Waller or Renfro will end up catching the ball because he's not going to have time. And Carr isn't known for having to scramble a whole lot, so it'll, it definitely makes me worried for him. Yeah, look at what has happened to the Eagles with a bunch of backups in their offensive line. It's not even all backups. It's just mostly backups. It would literally be 100% backup offensive linemen, which you don't want to see in the NFL. It can get ugly quick, completely out on Jacobs if they sit. Yeah, and I'll probably go, I'd probably play Davis out of those two options. Finally, though, Antonio Brown is visiting the Buccaneers on Saturday, October 24th, and is expected to sign with the team. The Buccaneers continue to load up for a Super Bowl run. However, there is currently a lawsuit against Brown for sexual assault, which may lead to the NFL placing him on the commissioner's exempt list until that is resolved. We'll follow this story as it progresses and discuss it as we have more information, but it's not going to affect us in week seven, and so we'll save that conversation for a later date. Turn, tune into the Important Nonsense podcast on future episodes as we figure out what's going on there. And that finally brings us into the positional news around the league. I don't think we've ever taken this long to get into it. There's so much defensive news, so many trades. Now we can finally dive into the positional news with the quarterbacks. And it is Tua time in Miami. The Dolphins have made the move to bench Ryan Fitzpatrick and insert Tua Tagovailoa as the starter in week eight after the team's week seven bye. Flores is on record saying that if Tua was his kid, he would not be wanting to play him following major surgery because of media pressure, and instead that the Miami Dolphins had a plan for Tua. Sounds like this was always a plan, and it sucks because Fitzmagic is so, so, so fun, but the future is now in Miami. Yeah, and I mean, it just is tough because of the fact that Fitz just shows so much heart, and I really hope that he has taught Tua what it means to be a leader for that team. I mean... I feel bad that he doesn't have the job anymore, but I really hope that Tua has taken that into consideration, and I'm just curious to see how Tua ends up go doing this year. Oh, and I don't know if you listened to the interview after the fact when Fitzpatrick heard that he had been benched, had to address the media, and it was so heartbreaking. Guy is a class act leader, but you could tell he is just so upset over this. But it's the NFL. The future comes at you quick, and the future is Tua Tugavaloa. 
In New York, though, Sam Darnold is expected to make his return for the Jets on Sunday against the Bills following the shoulder sprain. Adam Gase is going to continue calling plays as well. And when asked if he would relinquish those duties at any point, he told them that they have a bunch of steps and a bunch of issues to sort out. And currently, they're on step two. Giving up play calling would be step 10. Trevor Lawrence, welcome to New York. And finally, Tyrod Taylor, medically cleared to return to practice. He will back up Justin Herbert going forward. Moving on to running backs, though, we have Kareem Hunt, who was limited with a rib injury earlier in the week. Now officially clear of all his, all of his ailments, including the calf and the thigh. And the last time the Browns faced the Bengals, Hunt put up 25.6 points on FanDuel on just 31.4% of the backfield opportunities while sharing the field with Nick Chubb. Hunt is ready to blow to F up. Leonard Fournette is finally practicing in full. Uncle Len missed week six with the ankle and was active in an emergency basis in week five, but it does look like he's back. Unfortunately, he's only worth a bench chash at this point because we have seen how well Ronald Jones has been running and his absence. So zero value putting him in your lineup at all. However, we've seen there is a short leash for Rojo, was yanked a couple weeks ago after committing the cardinal sin of fumbling on the goal line. So he bet Fournette worth keeping as a stash, but do not play him by any means. James White missed Wednesday and Thursday's practice for undisclosed reasons, but returned on Friday. And White is a sneaky high-end RB2 if the Patriots get back on track. Moving on to limited, though, Le'Veon Bell, not a lock for week seven. Andy Reid says it's going to come down to how comfortable he is with the playbook, so we could be looking at another week of CEH. Yeah, even if he is active, I still wouldn't play him. I would want to wait and see how he does play in that offense, but I will tell you, next week he plays the New York Jets, so I'm thinking that might be a good time to roll out bell again i don't know what you if you guys agree with me or not it's a nice revenge game oh yeah he's gonna score a touchdown against his former team that is almost a lock talking about touchdowns though aaron jones he's been scoring a lot of them he suffered a calf strain on thursday and is now a game time decision against texans apparently he's more questionable than doubtful but go to your waiver wire and claim jamal williams now could we be looking at an increase from playing time in rookie aj dylan in the meantime though i could only hope i mean i was so high on dylan coming into this season but he's just been disappointing i'm not sure if it is just the fact that it's a rookie so they're not wanting to play him or give him more work or what but i'm just i want to see it and i'm waiting to see if if he's even good we don't know don't even get me started aj dylan second round pick and they're using him like he's a undrafted free agent uh, obviously, Williams is, is the better play here. Considerably higher PBR, uh, PBR upside. No way you should start Dylan. If Aaron Jones is, is out, out for longer, absolutely pick him up and stash him. But, but then again, they are playing the Texans, so you really never know. Ralph Henderson missed practice Thursday and Friday with a thigh injury. The new injury is scary, but he does have until Monday Night Football to get cleared and is expected to play. But what do we think about this Rams backfield going forward? Yeah, I mean... Do you guys want to play Akers or Brown if Henderson's out? Because I, I don't even. I really don't want to touch the backfield. So, I especially. I mean, against the Bears, but it's just one of those things. I don't want to trust any of these players. If Henderson doesn't play, like one of these backs is going to get carries, possibly both. Malcolm Brown's carries have have started to decrease over the uh, last couple of weeks. Akers just came back from injury; it was barely used last week, but. 
maybe this week we'll see a lot more acres just because of the Henderson injury and the, you know, fading of Brown. But this backfield is so confusing. I don't really want anything to do with it. Yeah, especially after Sean McVay basically said we didn't play Cam Akers because we didn't want to. We just didn't want him out there. That kind of worries me. And so if Henderson's out, I'm not starting anyone. And I'm hoping I'm not starting Henderson this week to begin with. I don't have a whole lot of him available to start personally. Moving on to players that will not play, though. Joe Mixon didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. Officially ruled out with a foot injury. And with Joe Mixon out, Giovanni Bernard could be taking some Browns, must- Browns defenders on a mustache ride. I genuinely think Gio would be likely to get 70-80% of the touches with Mixon out. Yeah, I definitely think this puts Gio as an RB2. Also, if Gio Bernard is available in your leagues, what are you waiting for? Pick him up. I'm hoping you picked him up before the start of this podcast, before you listen to this, but just anyone who's still straggling, check your leagues just in case. Maybe people slept on it because, yeah, Gio Bernard going off. Unfortunately for the 49ers, Raheem Mostert was placed on IR with the high ankle sprain and will miss at least three weeks. Again, this is a four- to six-week injury. Jeff Wilson is limited with the calf injury, and that caused him to miss miss week six. He's officially questionable, and that's going to be really interesting to see how this 49ers backfield shakes out. If Wilson is active, how do you guys see this backfield playing? It's an absolutely hot mess. I am not touching it. The risk of it being a three-headed monster has me too nervous. I mean, I like McKinnon, but you don't know if it's going to be Wilson getting the goal line touches if it's going to be me. Hey, see, no, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I just can't do it. I also don't like the matchup to begin with, even with most here playing. I still, I, I, I would still say he starts, but now that it's McKinnon considered as a starting back, it, it'll be tough. I would be very cautious. And like Jason said, it could turn into a three headed monster situation. And of course, never for, never forget the Jeff Wilson touchdown. Just when you least expect it, it'll come up and bite you. I think New England will try to take the runaway for, or try to take the way away, run away from San Francisco. So proceed with caution. It's going to be really interesting to see how Bill Belichick attacks his former disciple in Jimmy Garoppolo, and this is going to be a slobber knocker for sure. We'll see how that pans out. Kind of fading all of the back, all of the 49ers backfield in their place. And so Christian McCaffrey remains out, is eyeing a Week Eight return against the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah, and so with that in mind, Bearstan34 asked, when should we look to trade Mike Davis and what should we be kind of expecting to get considering CMC my return? Trade him now. Trade him now because this is the last week he's worth anything. This is his last week. Week eight, it's coming. CMC's back. Yeah, trade him now. Yep. Yeah, I agree. There is some feeling that you should probably keep him as a handcuff just in case there's another CMC injury. But if you're looking to, if you can get something really good for Mike Davis, go ahead and do it. And like Jack said, like his value is diminishing by the day, by the second, almost. Yeah, but do you guys think that Davis could potentially end up taking more work to help and keep CMC healthy? No. No, I feel like they, I think they're okay. I think they know what kind of team they are. Uh, I like they can make a playoff push if they keep winning games and what being the saints will obviously help but i think if when cmc's back he will be ready to go i don't think he'll be limited and they've kept them on the shelf long enough to heal up properly and they're they're just not going to do that there's no sense of putting mike davis on the field when you have christian mccaffrey so no 
speaking of being off the field, we know Austin Eckler is out with the hamstring, and everyone freaked out because Anthony Lynn said he's going to be back later than sooner, called the injury very serious. But sorry, why are we freaking out about this? We literally knew all of that already. We knew he was probably going to be out six to eight weeks, so this really isn't news unless you weren't paying attention the first time. So we're here to remind you of now, clear that up. Moving on to wide receiver, though, A.J. Brown missed Thursday's practice with a bones, bone bruise in his knee after logging a full practice Wednesday and then returned Friday. There's no injury designation, and it sounds like Thursday was a rest day, much like they did the week before. So it sounds like they're just going to do this going forward, give A.J. Brown a day off during the week. Love to see that for him. He's already getting the veteran treatment because he is a superstar. D.J. Chark also removed from the injury report with the ankle that plagued him last week, played through it against the Lions, slowed him down to seven receptions for under 50 yards on 14 targets, but he's ready to roll after getting in limited work Wednesday, Thursday, full practice on Friday. Also, LaVisca Chenault is limited with a hamstring injury. He's apparently ready to roll as well. Unfortunately, though, it doesn't seem like he's going to be the wide receiver too moving forward. Kind of looks like Keelan Cole has already passed him, which I do love because I love Keelan Cole, but I love Chenault even more, so it does hurt my heart a little bit. And moving on to the questionable slash limited side of things, DeAndre Hopkins mispracticed all week, and I, I don't know. Cliff Kingsbury hopes he can play. It's not a great sign. We did see Hopkins miss a week of practice and still suit up in week four, but this is kind of scary. You're obviously playing him if he's active, but you can't love this. No, and especially that this game got flexed to Sunday night, so you have to have a backup plan. So either grab David Moore or Josh Reynolds, somebody like that. It's It does seem like he's on pace, on track to play, but... You never know. You really never know. You might have the surprise inactive on Sunday night, and it'll probably ruin your week, so I apologize for that. Yeah, this is going to be a heartbreaker. Uh, Julio Jones is limited in practice Thursday after taking Wednesday off with a hamstring injury. Another vintage Julio game we got this past week, so I'm not worried about his status, and I'm not worried about Calvin Ridley either. He was limited with an elbow injury, but seems like he's going to play. Yep, both, like you said, both seem on track to play. And if they are active guys, don't be stupid. Like, this game against the Lions has a chance to be a high-scoring affair, so you'll definitely want to get in on that. Start them up. Keenan Allen was limited with a back injury, but it sounds like the Chargers are just being cautious with their star receiver. Sounds like it's full go with him and Justin Herbert. Deontay Johnson is also full go after practicing with or missing time with a back injury. Has been removed with from the injury report. And meanwhile, Juju, he did miss his standard Wednesday practice with the knee. He's done that every week. And he practiced in full Thursday and Friday. However, if you've listened to the Big Boss show earlier in the week, or if you listened to me last week, you know that Juju Smith-Schuster literally only runs one to six yard drags. That's all they're doing with him now. Has an average depth of target of 5.04 yards, 119th out of 120 active receivers. And the only players with a lower A dot are the teams, Isaiah Wright, who's filling in for Steven Sims Jr., and Debo Samuel, who we already know is basically a running back in the Kyle Shanahan system. But Debo Samuel is averaging 12.2 yards after the catch per reception. Juju's averaging 5.5. So Juju's playing. I'm not playing him until we see literally anything from him, and he's failed to do that time and time again. Another slot receiver that has showed up for us is Jameson Crowder. However, he didn't practice Thursday with a groin injury that popped up, had a full practice Wednesday, but now missed a day, officially questionable, and got on a limited session Friday, but that is a bit of a worry. Rashad Perriman, though, is practicing in full for the Jets, 
making his return to the field in week six, played 89% of the Jets snaps, had eight targets and over 100 air yards. So at some point, we could be looking at a massive day from Rashad Perriman, especially if Tanger misses any time. But it's the Jets, so we can't guarantee anything. Bobby Forrest was added to the injury report and did not practice Friday with the groin. Keep an eye on that on Saturday injury report because that is not a good sign at all, especially against the Chicago Bears defense. Curtis Samuel limited all week with a knee and is officially questionable, as is KJ Hamler with the hamstring. Marvin Jones missed Wednesday with a knee injury, got a limited session in Thursday, but it doesn't matter. Marvin Jones has been dust. I'd love to see a resurrection against the Falcons, but I am not banking on it. And I'm not banking on production from Jarvis Landry going forward either. Revealed he's been dealing with broken ribs ever since the Week 5 win against the Colts. Jordan, I'm sorry to talk about that again. But the guy's a warrior. He's been playing through broken ribs, also rehabbing offseason hip surgery. But unfortunately, his value is kind of like a low-end wide receiver 4, wide receiver 3, flex wide receiver 4 in PPR. And that's about it for Jarvis Landry, which is really disappointing. Denzel Mims could be back this week after injuring both his hamstrings. We'll keep an eye on that. But we do know Michael Thomas is out after injuring his hamstrings on Wednesday, which is devastating for those who drafted Michael Thomas in round one. Now missed time with the high ankle sprain, the discipline, and now the hamstring. So two injuries to rehab and attitude issues. Yeah, you must be devastated if you have Mikey T on your team. Like you said, it's a new issue every week that prevents you from playing him. Uh, valued first-round pick and... It's four weeks now, or, or even longer than that, where it's just he's rotten on your bench or IR spot. Meanwhile, Emmanuel Sanders was placed on reserve slash COVID and will miss this week's matchup against Carolina. So who's going to be getting the ball? Uh, Traquan Smith. That was my, be my guess. No, I'm going Callaway here. You finally come over to the Marquez Callaway bandwagon. Let's go, Jason. Fire <laughs> up Traquan Smith. Fire up Marquez Callaway. Let's go go you love to see it we have all it's always so fun seeing these like undrafted or later round drafted guys ball out for the saints you know what always happens excited to see that happen uh it's also excited to see gabriel davis because john brown will not play against the jets with a knee injury that clearly bothered him a lot on monday against the chiefs gets a week of rest should be an easy win against the jets Gabriel Davis lets go in his place. Sammy Watkins' hamstring did not practice Wednesday or Thursday and will most likely be out, according to Andy Reid. But this was expected. We knew it was going to be multi-week injury. If he returns week eight, it's fine. If not, then the Chiefs kind of made a mistake by not putting him on IR. We'll see about that, though. Washington slot receiver Isaiah Wright and fourth-round rookie Antonio Gandy-Golden are both out at wide receiver. I know these two guys aren't really much of an impact for this offense, but I was pounding the table for Terry McLaurin this week just because they play the Puget Cowboys, and this just accentuates my feelings. Jason will probably tell you to play Dontrell Edmond, but that's up to you if you want to take that advice or not. And Logan Thomas. They're both there. Scary Terry and Logan Thomas in on both of them, not in on Dontrell Edmond. Let's hate that. Literally, yes, I am a hater. I'm sorry. Don't enjoy this Dontrell Edmond talk. And, but I do enjoy that Alan Lazard has began his rehab work. He's back on the field. He's out for Sunday against the Texans, but it's possible we see the return of the Lizard King in week eight against the Vikings. That would be so exciting because he torched them the last time they played. Moving on to tight end, though, Jonu Smith practicing in full with the ankle injury that limited him last week and caused Anthony Ferkser to have a breakout injury designation completely removed. So Jonu Smith, let's go. Yeah, and I was excited for Ferkser, but man, it's just not going to happen, unfortunately. And he's not going to be 
any kind of relevant with Smith back, unfortunately. Unfortunately, and unfortunately it won't happen for Albert Okwabunam either because Noah Faint is back and practicing in full this week. Missed two games to an ankle injury. Fire Noah Fant up. Tyler Higby, though, missed Thursday and Friday with a hand injury. That's not great. So keep an eye on that Saturday practice report in addition to Darrell Henderson and Bobby Forrest. Gerald Everett is interesting if he misses, so keep an eye on it. But uh, I don't love this at all. The Rams are starting to scare me quite a bit. Robert Tanyan also starting to scare me a little bit. He's working off to the side on Thursday with the ankle injury, and he's officially questionable for fr on as a Friday for the Texans game. Love me some big Bobby Tanyan. Hope he plays. We won't be seeing any of Austin Hooper this week. Underwent an appendectomy and will miss Sunday against the Bengals and could miss week eight as well against the Raiders, which could we see a David Njoku breakout incoming? Yeah, watch it be Harrison Bryant that breaks out. Uh, it could. It, honestly, it could could. he's been pretty good this year. But yeah, David Njoku, let's go. The aforementioned Logan Thomas is practicing. He had a neck injury earlier in the week and now kind of has a little bit of upside thanks to Kyle Allen. So one good thing Kyle Allen does. So thank you for that. Dawson Knox didn't practice with the calf injury. That left him out of week five and caused him to miss week six completely, officially out heading into the weekend. Jordan Aikens didn't practice this week. He's been cleared from the concussion, and it sounds like it's a high ankle sprain that's getting him now. doesn't look like he's going to play. Tyler Eifert is also out against the Chargers. And Dallas Goddard, we know he's out, but they're looking at a week 10 return from his, high, his broken ankle. Yeah, which definitely means... If you didn't pick him up this week, you need to pick him up for next week because I get the Cowboys and Richard Rodgers season. Let's go. Yeah, definitely Richard Rodgers. If you look at the snap count with the tight ends, like I know that the Eagles run a two tight end set. They barely had two tight ends on the field. It was all Richard Rodgers. So it seems like the whispers surrounding a Hakeem Butler breakout have died down very quickly. Oh, I never thought Hakeem Butler was going to break out as a tight end this year. I am excited for him in the future, but it, it takes a while to transition to tight end. Not excited about for him. Love Richard Rodgers, though. Literally a coach's son. First guy to show up in the morning. Just that kind of kid. Love to see him have success. Rounding things out with kicker, though. Joey Sly was placed on reserve COVID list earlier in the week because of close contact. He's officially being cleared, though, so you can go re-add him to your rosters if you cut him. Josh Lambeau's activated off the IR, is expected to kick for the Jaguars against his former team, the Chargers. Unfortunate for Josh Brown, who got called up last week, it was the first time in his life he had kicked a field goal during a game. Not NFL game, not preseason game, not college game. He'd never kicked a field goal in a game before. So that was a cool story, but Lambeau's back, Brown is benched. And speaking of bench, we don't know if Sam Sloman is getting benched yet. The Rams signed kicker Kai Forbath. But because of COVID protocols, he's not going to join the team until 24 hours ahead of the Monday night game. So Sloman might get one last chance in L.A. Some kicker drama in the city of Angels. But I don't think we're looking at either of those guys. Jason, who are you starting at kicker this week? Are you in on the Lambeau revenge game at all? I mean, there's always that chance. But I'm actually looking at Daniel Carlson. I think he will be... Okay, Vegas is going to have to move the ball. I don't think they're going to be able to score because I'm worried about that O-line, but he can kick 50-yard field goals, and that's a huge plus. And the other guy is Brandon McManus. He's quietly been very solid the past couple weeks. And in a game where the Broncos need to put up points any way possible, McManus should be able to do that. I agree with McManus. I just want to say about Carlson, I think he's a, a great kicker. I agree with that. But since there'll be no offensive line, it will be tough because the special teams will suffer as well just because they do need to block while they'll kick. So I would I would kind of look elsewhere than Carlson. 
Yeah, that's a little bit of a worry. Keep an eye on that. I'm not playing Carlson if it happens, but or if they happen to miss the game just because they're not going to move the ball at all. But let's just keep our fingers crossed because Rodrigo Blankenship's on a bye, which really hurts my team a lot. In pretty much all of my leagues, I had him rostered. So I'll be taking Jason's advice. I'll be starting Daniel Carlson in a lot of leagues. But that's going to do it from Kickers now. So let's kick it to a word from our sponsors. Our friends at Monkey Knife Fight combine the fun and excitement of Vegas with DFS to make the ultimate daily fantasy prop game. That's right, and there are three ways for you to play. Stat Shootout, Rapid Fire, and more or less. Stat Shootout, you put together a two- or three-player team that will accumulate the most of whatever stat you've chosen to play. Touchdowns, total yards, receptions, etc. Then you choose one of three target goals for that stat. If your team exceeds your chosen goal, you'll win. And the higher the target goal, the more you win. So if I choose a three-man team for touchdowns, I can set the target at one and a half touchdowns to pay out one and a half times the entry fee. Or I can go big with a target of three and a half touchdowns to pay out 15 times the entry fee. Obviously, you gotta go big or go home. Then we've got Rapid Fire, where you select your team by choosing the highest scoring player in multiple head-to-head matchups of statistical categories, like who has more receptions this week, Julio or Devontae Adams. Each contest will tell you how many matchups you need to get right in order to win. But like we said, the higher risk, the higher the reward. Yep. I only need to get two out of three matchups right, and I win 1.5 times my entry. But then, when I go all in, and I can get five out of five, I'm looking at 15 times the payout. I can buy a lot of Josh Jacobs jerseys with that money. You sure can. Finally, there's more or less. Depending on the contest, you'll be given two to six players and their statistic target for that game, like Austin Eckler with over under four and a half receptions against the Raiders. You have to decide if that player is going to get more or less than that target number. Just like the others, more or less increases the payout the more risk you take. However, it offers the highest return. You can go two for two and get 1.5 times the payout, or you've got the nerve, you can attempt to go six for six and hit 30 times the payout. So many Josh Jacobs jerseys. Well, the only thing better than winning money from Monkey Knife Fight is getting money from Monkey Knife Fight for free. I do love free. Just go to Monkey Knife Fight to sign up for a free account. When you make your first deposit, use promo code NONSENSE and Monkey Knife Fight will match your deposit up to $50. This is literally playing with house money, guys. Go sign up on Monkey Knife Fight with the promo code NONSENSE and get in on the action this weekend. We are back and it is time for the part of the show that really stresses me out each and every week and it's the part where I give all of the power over to Jason. It's terrifying. I never know what's going to happen. I really have control issues because of it. Um, but before I do that, let's talk about the rules real quick. So quick reminder, QBs are players that are ranked outside the top 12 in the Fantasy Pros Expert Consensus Rankings who we are starting while our busts are QBs that are ranked inside the top 12 in the ECR, we expect to miss expectations. So with that, here we are with Truster Bust with the Nerd. Yeah, we're going to start off with quarterbacks. It's going to be your favorite player, Teddy Bridgewater, going up against the Saints. Woo! Looking at the year, the quarterback going up against the Saints have not scored under 20 fantasy points great option for you they're currently the sixth best matchup for quarterbacks allowing 27.1 fantasy points per game 
everybody seems to continue to fade the quarterbacks and wide receivers against the Saints, and I'm not sure why. I mean, Teddy bounces back this week. He has had three good games and three bad games on the year. The three bad games are against really good defenses and corners overall in Tampa Bay, Chargers, and Chicago. All kept Teddy Bridgewater under 15 fantasy points. So now my only worry is the extra week to prepare coming off the bye. Well, you know I'm all about Teddy Two Gloves. Never, ever going to fault you for playing him, no matter who the opponent is. And in a massive NFC South matchup, we could be looking at a shootout. That's one of the reasons that Steve and I were so high on Teddy this year is because he plays in that division with so much shootout potential. And at this point, I trust Teddy in a shootout more than Drew Brees to put up those fantasy points. So I am all in on this one, Jason. Good job starting it off. Yeah, I like Teddy against the Saints, even coming off the bye. As Jack said, this game has making of a shootout, and you know Teddy likes to throw the ball. So yeah, look, look. Hopefully that he can reciprocate, and he doesn't, uh, you know, continue with the struggles. Yeah, and moving on to my next player, it's a little more controversial because it's Baker Mayfield going up against the Bengals. They've already met once, but Baker's coming off out of two tough matchups with the Colts and the Steelers. I think he bounces back this game in the battle for Ohio. During his first game, he went 16 for 23 for 219 yards with a touchdown and one interception. Made me a little nervous, but I think Burrow has gotten better. More points are going to be put up. Chubb is out, so Hunt is a better pass catcher, and I can just easily see Baker throwing it more. This could be Baker's first 20-point game. So the only thing that has me worried about this is the possibility of the Browns protecting Baker with the run game, and it ends up being the Kareem Hunt show. But at the same time, William Jackson is out for the Bengals, which means Odell Beckham's not going to be seeing the shadow coverage he saw last game. And in that game, he should have gone for 100 plus and two scores, if not for a DPI from Jackson. So he ended up with like 74 and a touchdown instead. But now no Jackson at all which means we see a bump from Odell which you kind of have to bump Baker up because of it so I can't fault you too much here Jason I know about you guys I'm a little biased about this but I'm fading Baker this week he hasn't done anything this season really give me any confidence to start him even against the Bengals like Jason said he hasn't even had 20 points this season so maybe this week will be it but I personally will not make that that risk Uh, if you're desperate go ahead temporary expectations yeah and moving into bus i mean my we've kind of brought it up earlier but it's been roethlisberger i get that this might not happen he gets the titans who allow 29.1 fantasy points per game to quarterbacks pretty good my thought on saying ben is the bust is that this turns into a run game and it's just how the defense runs i mean that's these are two defensive teams that like to lean on the run with connor and Henry, I mean, even though Ben has been very consistent, he has me worried. His worst week was last week in a blowout. I just guess this game is an ugly ground and pound game, and I'm not for it. So there's the potential this ends up being a shootout because it just could be these two quarterbacks have been known to throw a lot of touchdowns. However, the Titans want to run the ball and play great defensive football. The Pittsburgh Steelers want to run the ball play great defensive football, both want the quarterbacks to be more game managers who are super efficient and throw a lot of touchdown passes. 
but this could end up being an old school shoot or old school ground and pound game like the Ravens versus Steelers used to be with the Titans in place of Baltimore. So this one could get dirty. This one could get ugly. And I wouldn't be surprised if it just ends up being a fist fight throughout. Based on what you guys said, it's, a, it's either it's going to be a shootout or a complete no-go for both teams. It's Ben may have sneaky upside if they fall behind quickly to the Titans, but I don't know if that will happen. And also Big Ben is, is away from the friendly confines of Heinz Field, which uh, turns off a lot of people, though. But I kind of understand why I would you're fading Big Ben this week. Yeah, and the next one, I guess he just has become my weekly bus, and it's Tom Brady. I mean, I'm worried that he will struggle in this game. <laughs> As the Raiders defense has looked good, my worry is the entire O-line is out for the Raiders and the team struggles. At that point, Brady just lets them run and Jones has a huge, Jones and Fournette potentially have huge days. Yeah, if the Raiders O-line misses, this is going to be a very, very slow game. This defense is so smothering. So Carr is a complete bust. No one's starting him though, so he's not really a bust, but he's going to have a bad week. That means, though, the Bucs are going to run the ball a ton and play great defense like we just talked about with the Titans and Steelers. Legit Tampa Bay is so good on D that Brady's ceiling is kind of fading and just getting smaller by the week. He really isn't having to do much anymore. Yeah, and depending on what news we get tomorrow, there's a chance this game may not even happen. Yeah, and if the Raiders play with no offensive line, this game may be a wash and Brady won't ask to do much on offense. So I agree with both of you guys. Brady's not, not a good play this week. So we'll move on to the running backs. And just a reminder here, we're looking at players who rank outside the top 24. So that's an RB3 or lower that we're confident in playing this week. While our bus rank inside the top 24 that we're low on for week seven and expecting to miss expectations. Yeah, so as tempting as it is to say Gio Bernard is a trust with the news of this matchup, I'm not going to take the easy road. I'm going oh, to go. Good, good job, Jack. Good job, because I would have. I would have <laughs> caved. I would have been a coward. I would have done that. So credit to you, Jason. Yeah, I like making it more fun. So I'm going with Justin Jackson. I get it. Homer pick. I can't help myself. But he is likely a top 15 running back this week for me. I mean, he's in a good matchup. The Jaguars allow 30.8 fancy points per game to the running back. This is a six-best matchup for running backs. In a game that I believe is a shootout, Jackson seeing a majority of the carries last week and also being used in the passing game gives me hope that he will do the same this week. Oh, But you are right because Jackson is Austin Eckler light, which means he's got massive fantasy upside, especially in PPR. We've seen Justin Herbert raise the fantasy ceiling of everyone on that offense. My only worry for the week is for Herbert, the Jags struggle once again, and they run the ball a lot. So that might not be good for Herbert. That's great for Jackson. Also, I would just hold uh, pump the brakes on the shootout talk i thought the same thing last week about the lions and the jaguars and the jaguars failed to show up although the lions did run over the jaguars last week and turned deandre swift into a relevant fantasy option for now and plus the, char- the future for th- it's not ending deandre swift well, is very relevant. i mean the way the lions run their backfield you never know the chargers love to run the ball though so yes definitely upside in this matchup yeah so upset by the deandre swift slander yeah, and I get that because I like Swift too. But moving on to my next trust, it's J.D. McKissick. I mean, I keep mentioning him on the waiver show. He's still not owned enough. I mean, last week was his best week. He continues to be a steady player. In competitive games, McKissick is used more. Last week, he had his best touch, best game. Eight touches, 41 yards, six receptions for 43 yards, 
for his most fantasy points and 14.4. I mean, he also, you know, gets a great matchup. Cowboys, who are allowing 26.9 fantasy points to running backs. Uh, you're right, and I hate it, but you're right. So he's the pass catching back in the team's offense when they go to hurry up. And he's also just going to get carries when the team is down or when the team is still just even. So free Antonio Gibson, he deserves that job, but that's not how this team's playing it. The team is going to make it a committee. Yeah, somebody who is heavily re- relying on Antonio Gibson production this weekend, I hope you're wrong as well. But JD McKissick is very much involved in this offense and your logic is sound. So I'll tend to agree. Yeah, I still think Gibson has a decent day, so I'm not too worried about it there for you. But moving into bust, it's Devin Singletary. I mean, this is one I'm kind of iffy on just because Josh Allen is going to have a get-right game. But at the same point, Zach Moss is returning. In week one, Singletary had nine carries for 30 yards and four receptions for 23 yards for 10.3 fantasy points against the Jets, who they're playing again this week. If this team gets up, it could very easily become a Moss and Yeldon game, and just Singletary gets to sit out and not have to worry about it. I'm, I'm just out on Singletary this week. It's kind of like what we saw against the 49ers with the Jets. So we saw that big, I think it was an 80-yard touchdown run from Mostair, but then he got hurt, and McKinnon had a bunch of success as well. So that could happen. We could see Singletary succeed, or we could see Moss succeed. And that's exactly the problem is we have no idea how this backfield is going to work. And personally, I think this is a great game for us to figure out how this backfield wants to run, what this team wants to do when in a positive game script. But this is a full-on experiment. So you have to fade all of the backs. You can't trust them. Don't know what's going to happen. So fade them. Instead, I'm all in on Allen. I'm all in on Diggs. I'm all in on Beasley. I'm all in on Gabriel. And I'm probably in on Tyler Croft as well. Personally, I find it hard to bench Singletary against a team just as terrible as the Jets with positive game script. And since the Bills are going to find themselves in the lead for most of this game, I think he'll get his opportunities. Although Zach Moss certainly lurks in the shadows, and this backfield could revert to a 1A, 1B timeshare that we saw in the first two games of the season. So it's risky. I, I see why you're you're putting him in your bus for sure. Yeah, and again, probably crazy here, but David Johnson's my other bust. Green Bay is giving it up to the most fantasy points to running backs currently. While David Johnson has been very quietly the RB21 in fantasy, I could see this being a battle of arms. I mean, Rodgers got it handed to him last week. I think this week he fires it up. He wants to show that he isn't trash. QB that we saw last week getting only four fantasy points for a majority of their managers. This is going to force Watson to throw to keep up. And I think this is a big wide receiver game for Houston with more than likely Cooks and Cobb having big games. Unfortunately, this devalues running back, especially since, you know, David Johnson hasn't hardly been used in the passing game. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers needs a rebound. He's 0-3 off of his last three buys, which what can you do? Some guys respond poorly to bye weeks, hate the interruption to the schedule. Now he's back on schedule, back to QB1 which means Texans are going to have to sling it instead. I kind of feel like David Johnson is going to need to score in this one to bail him out, kind of thinking the 60-70-yard ballpark, even though Mike Pettin's defense is easy to run all over. I think that David Johnson will always have flex consideration just based on the opportunity he has, and it'll be hard to bench him against a team who's given up the most points to running backs. But I agree, I think that Deshaun Watson's going to have to throw the ball to keep in, uh, keep on pace with this team, especially that the Houston Texans have can't afford to lose. So. I, I'll still play him, but we'll see. 
At receiver, we're looking to players who rank outside the top 36, so wide receiver four or lower for our trusts, and our busts are inside the top 36 who we expect to miss expectations. Yeah, again, I could have gone an easy path here and picked Smith or Callaway, but I'm not. I'm going to go with Tim Patrick. He has quietly been doing very well. His target share continues to go up. He had two of the best defenses putting up two for 24 against Pitt and four for 34 for 43 and a touchdown against Tampa Bay. So then he came in and showed up against the Jets, putting up six of seven for 113 yards and a touchdown for his best week yet. This past week, he went up against the Patriots and put up four of eight for 101 yards. I mean, He's just turning into the target leader for the Broncos and really has taken over the Sutton role here. I mean, in a game where the team has to throw to keep up, I think with Fant and Judy both healthy, it takes enough pressure pressure off of Patrick to make him against the sixth worst matchup for wide receivers in Kansas City a must-go for me. Tim Patrick's playing the role we all expected Cortland Sutton to play, and I love that for the future of Sutton, but the present of Tim Patrick is amazing. He is the man in Denver. Jerry Judy, purely a second fiddle, even with the return of Noah Fant. I'm not worried at all because Drew Locke clearly loves both of these men. Tim Patrick going to get fed. Yeah, Patrick has certainly held his own since Sutton went down, especially playing with three different quarterbacks. I do understand your logic, Jason, but it's all on... if Drew Locke will show up, didn't really play necessarily well last week. So hopefully he can sling the ball in order to keep up with the Kansas City offense. Yeah, and my next guy is even better here because he's been so quiet. It's Cole Beasley. I mean, wide receiver 28 in fantasy with John Brown and Dawson Knox already being named out. Beasley is a valuable piece to own here. I mean, his only quote-unquote bad game was 9.8 fantasy points week one against the Jets. I mean, on the season, he's averaging 12.6 fantasy points per game. My only worry, like mentioned, is the team gets up and they run it out with Moss, Singletary, Yeldon, just a majority of everybody to keep them healthy. And Beasley has really shown to be the heart of the team, while Diggs is definitely the receiver leader here. Yeah, play guys against the Jets that we know are going to play a lot, and we know Colby's is going to see the field a lot, and playing a lot against the Jets equals fantasy points. Yeah, it's kind of like what we said with the, well, I said with Singletary. I, I'd probably play most of my uh, Bills, Beasley included. Uh, I think that Allen, since he had two rough games in a row, I think he will want to uh, rebound and, and have a really good passing game for himself. So yeah, like Beasley should be in your lineups. Yeah, and moving into bust, I mean, Brought it up earlier, Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, with Johnson likely back, the emergence of Claypool, I'm out on Juju. I mean, he has not been targeted enough. And in a game where the team likely doesn't have to throw a whole lot or might end up throwing a lot, don't really know. He doesn't get enough targets, but he isn't in the same role. His average depth of target is way too low. It's all concerning, and I'm not trusting him to be a top 36 wide receiver, and I don't know why most experts are. Yeah, already said it, but I need to see it from Juju before I ever trust him again. He looks like the third option at best in Pittsburgh. Yeah, I agree. The, the target share is rapidly declining, and Deontay Johnson coming back will just hurt him more. There's too many males to feed in Pittsburgh. Yeah, so fun fact here for you guys. Among the top 36 wide receivers, there are three without a touchdown. The target leader is Allen Robinson with 66, just for an idea. The first is, with 45 targets, is A.J. Green followed by T.Y. Hilton with 37. And finally, the guy I have on my bus list, Julian Edelman with 36 targets, 20 receptions for 302 yards, and zero touchdowns. While he is consistently being targeted six or more times in all of his games, he has only 
been to double digits once. I mean, and or sorry, twice, I guess. I don't really count the Dolphins, but it's fine. And the Seahawks in week two. In both games, he had seven and 11 targets, over 50 yards. His best game was against the Seahawks, who we all know suck against wide receivers. And he went eight for 11 for 179 yards. While this matchup isn't the greatest, I think that the guy who has been my sleeper pick in the past, past few weeks is a guy who Cam actually likes. It's Demir Bird. I mean, I thought it was Harry, but it's not. It's really Bird, and he just has quietly snuck into the wide receiver two role in New England. So he's become Ted Ginn guy. And with that in mind, I mean, I just, I, it's Cam's go to. And if it's he's not actually, him, he's actually running more routes than Julian Edelman. So he honestly might be the wide receiver one at this point. So fade top part time players, fade Julian Edelman. And he's showing the effects of father time at this point. I'm, I can't, I'm not down at Edelman as you guys are, but there's definitely cause for concern in this offense, especially if they struggle like they did against uh, the uh, last week. So I don't know. I, I, I would consider benching him as well. I agree. And so at tight end, we are looking at players who rank outside the top 12, so tight end two or lower for our trust, and our bus are inside the top 12 who we expect to miss expectations. Yeah, and the trust is easy. I mean, we brought it up already. It's Noah Fant. He gets a Chiefs in a game where the Broncos have to put up points. He is in this stereotypical tight end, and the Chiefs give up 14.3 fantasy points to tight ends. I mean, Hunter Henry went 6 of 8 for 83 yards. Waller put up 5 of 7 for 48 yards and a touchdown. They did well against Mark Andrews, Dawson Knox, and Fels or Akins. I mean, and so I just think Fant has a good week. Let's go. Fire me up for some Noah Fant. And guys, you can't spell fantasy without fan. So if that doesn't convince you to start him, I don't know what else to tell you. Yeah, and the next guy is Greg Olson. This is a game that's likely to be a shootout. Olson on a team that puts up points. I mean, Metcalf has struggled against Patrick Peterson in the past. And while I don't think Metcalf is by any means going to have any issues, Olson is an easy option after posting a season-high 83% snap rate before the bye. I think Olson is a viable option this week. Targets per game have been up and down this season. Only saw one target in the game before the bye. He's really a flyer if your tight end one is on a bye, but we'll see about that. Busts are easier. I mean, Hayden Hurst, this one I, I'm not a huge fan of just because Julio's back and it really changes the whole offense. But I don't know who the third target's going to be. I'm assuming it's going to be Gage, so I'm not really pumped for Hurst at all. He has shown to be a red zone target and do well enough. In a great matchup, I just struggled to trust Aiden Hurst this week, which most likely means he blows up in my face. Personally, I like Hurst better than Olsen, just because the Lions-Falcons will be a shootout, and Hurst will have a chance to succeed, but pretty much that position, if, if anyone has a pulse, you start him. Yeah, and I keep bringing him up. I don't understand why analysts keep putting him so high, but it's Eric Gebron. Have you guys not been watching? I mean, he's a tight end 26 on the year in fantasy, with Johnson out and Juju underperforming you know who was stealing his targets chase claypool he is a swiss army knife of receiving options and while he doesn't need a lot of targets he does need a lot with a few targets he gets i mean chase is just amazing and sorry ebron but you have been replaced by a younger faster and beast of man and chase claypool yeah i i agree with this i wrote about this in my article uh this week on important nonsense can we stop pretending that the steelers tight end position holds any 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 fancy value because it doesn't didn't happen with vance mcdonald hasn't happened with ebron fade 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 yeah i completely agree with that analysts do a lot of stuff that doesn't make any sense so everyone thinks keeps thinking it's going to be the three touchdown week from ebron 
And if it didn't happen against the Eagles, it's not going to freaking happen. It's just not. So that's going to do it from us here on the Important Nonsense Podcast. Jason, thank you once again for all the knowledge you've dropped on us today. Quite shocked at how much you nailed it this week. I think you get better by the week, especially because now you're not hyping up Evan Ingram as the tight end three overall. You are on fire. Any parting words for all your fans in the metaphorical stands? Nah, man, just check out the waiver wire show that comes out on Monday. I'm pretty pumped for football. Let's go. And don't forget to follow Jason at that FF nerd on all of the socials. If you've got start sit questions, hit him up. If you've got complaints about the show, hit him up because he is our customer support program. And if you enjoyed the show, make sure you leave us a five-star rating and review and be sure to follow us along over at importantnonsense.com and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NonsenseFF for articles from incredibly smart people, including our man, Jordan McDonald. Jordan, do you have anything to leave all of your supporters with out there? Yeah, thank you for listening, guys. Thanks for having me on, Jason and Jack. It was fun to do this again, and uh, hope to see you guys again soon. Be sure to follow Jordan at Donald McJordan for plenty of fascinating thoughts, as well as the occasional Colts rant. Thank you for joining me, Jordan, and Jason, and thank you for tuning in. I've been your host at Javanaugh87, Jack Kavanaugh, and it has been such an honor to be able to guide you through the first seven weeks of NFL action. Enjoy week seven, stay safe, wear a mask, get out and vote, and most importantly, don't forget to keep up the nonsense. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, and you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!